Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Ballou, what's up? How are you? I'm good. I'm tired. I got up at uh, seven o'clock this morning to run with my running group. Really? And this was the first time in a long time that we've done it. So. Wow. We're recording this at 11 a.m. I got up at about 1030, I think, because I thought it was going to be later on in the day. I know, we thought the podcast was at 1230. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Um, Hey, we got a great guest today. And uh, he has a long and storied career as an actor. Uh, His television work includes shows like ER, Law and Order, Sons of Anarchy, Southland, and How to Get Away with Murder. His film work includes An American Werewolf in Paris, Boiler Room, That Thing You Do, Mars Needs Moms, and One True Thing. His new film is Finding You. It's in theaters Friday, March the 14th. Tom Everett Scott is here. Tom, thanks so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Good to see you guys. So we'll definitely talk about the new movie, which is uh, which is sweet, which is just what the doctor ordered for uh, the, the tail end of this pandemic and people going back to theaters. Uh, I wanted to ask you, though, you went to Syracuse, right? That's right. Did you go there to study uh, sports broadcasting like a lot of people go to Syracuse for? I went there for communications, yes. I didn't know if it was going to be sports or news or writing or just learning how to make TV, but that was what I wanted to do. And the reason why I wanted to do that is because in my high school, we had a public access cable um, studio in our high school and I would live there uh, making shows and being on TV in my local tiny little town. And I said, I want to do this the rest of my life. And the guy who ran that place, Ralph said, uh, you know, that he majored in communications. That that became my quest when looking at colleges. And that's how I wound up at Syracuse. But then almost immediately into my freshman year, when I realized that communications was something that had nothing to do with what, you know, my dreams were, uh, I just joined the theater department. So what were your dreams? There is a longer story to that. So I didn't realize any of this. All I knew is that I just... I knew I wanted to be in front of the camera. I thought I had to learn the behind the camera first. And I also love being in theater and plays and stuff. When I got there and I wasn't really happy with my classes because it just didn't seem like anything of it had to do like interpersonal communication, group communication, massive, like mass communication, like lectures. I was just like, this is so not what I want to be doing. And there was this really uh, acute girl on my floor in my dorm who asked me if I wanted to see her in her play I said absolutely and I went down to the theater department and watched her in this play and thought this is where I gotta be I just gotta be down here and switch my major and the rest will be history huh so do you have a recollection of the first thing that you saw movie tv that made you say I want to do this I I mean (laughs) um i think like a lot of kids i was seven when star wars came out and so i was just blown away by the film star wars but as far as acting goes i mean tom hanks movies were like my favorite movies or michael keaton or um you know i loved watching late night with david letterman with my dad and uh saturday night live and just all that stuff so you you mentioned tom hanks one of your big breakthrough roles was that thing you do uh directed by tom hanks how did you how did you wind up in that role so I was auditioning for a bunch of different stuff at that time. I had um, been in some commercials. I was on a sitcom called Grace Under Fire uh, as a recurring role, but I hadn't really broken through yet. And it was early. I mean, I had just graduated from Syracuse in 92 and I met Tom Hanks in 95. So what happened was I was doing theater and my agent called the theater because he had run out of headshots. And so I literally pulled my headshot off the wall in the theater and like <laughs> ran it down to him uh, because Tom Hanks had written a, a screenplay and was directing it and it was going to be his directorial debut. I met with a uh, casting director, Howard Fuhr, who, who um, passed, but he was an amazing man. And um, he, he just said, come back on Saturday and read for the director. And I said, is the director Tom Hanks? And he said, Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> 
So uh, that was exciting and nerve-wracking beyond belief. I didn't really have coping skills back then like I do now, but I somehow still uh, was able to speak uh, and do the things I was supposed to do. Um, and it just kind of magically happened. I, I got called back and read with Liv Tyler. I got called back to meet with uh, Jonathan Demi and just chat wow. with Jonathan Demi wow. in his office. Just, you know, um, and then waited a little bit on pins and needles for a couple of days. And then my agent called me and said he was going to the theater. And if anything happens, I'll call you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey. And so I was so nervous and, and I was sitting there and the phone rang and it was, um, and this guy said, is this Tom Everett Scott? And I said, uh, yeah. He said, great. Just want to make sure this was the right number. And I was like, wait, who's this? So, <laughs> I'm Ed Saxon. I'm a producer. I said, Oh, uh, four. And he was like, that thing you do. And I was like, okay. He was all right. Bye. And, and I was like, what the heck was that call? Wait, and, am I doing it? Am I doing it? Am I doing that thing you do? And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, and we met in college, she said, dummy, they're making sure that you're home. They're going to call you. And I was like, ah, oh, I got to go get my laundry from the fluff and fold. And she was like, what? She, I said, I got to go get my laundry. And she's like, no. I, <clears throat> and I, I went and I got my laundry. I came back. I said, anyone call? She goes, no. Why would you leave me here? Like that. And the phone rang and it was, uh, it was Tom Hanks. He said, is this Tom? I said, yeah. He goes, this is Tom Hanks. I was like, oh my God. And we like held the phone between me and you know, my wife like this. Oh, that's oh, great. That's so I, I had a, uh, an inter- encounter with Tom who is every bit as nice as everybody says he is. Um, mm-hmm. So I was doing my very first national radio show. And it was the night that uh, Apollo 11 was coming out. And uh, Brian Grazer was the guest in studio. He was the... Ex- Apollo 13? Sorry, Apollo 13. I'm sorry, yeah. The movie? The movie, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And Brian Grazer was the guest. And uh, Tom Hanks was coming on the show. And I picked up the phone beforehand, before he we went on the air. I said, Tom, uh, I'm really excited about this. Thank you very much for doing this. I'm a little nervous. And he said, don't worry, Steve. I'll get you through this. And I was like, mm. what a great guy Tom Hanks is. Uh, completely legit, right? I mean, that's it. That's exactly it. I, I think he knew I was nervous for that first audition. And he said, can you just shoot everybody out of the room? You know, the people are going to like run the camera and read with me or whatever. And it was just me. Hey, give us a couple minutes. Give us a couple minutes. And I mean, I was just, uh, you know, like I couldn't really think. And he was like, so, okay. And, you know, he like took my like resume and he's like, so uh, it says here you are, uh, you know, play trumpet or guitar. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, he goes, cause I'm an actor. I know that that could be total bullshit. That, that could be, a, you know, you can tell me. <laughs> I said, no, 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 I did. I played, I played trumpet for, like in my middle school, high school, like, you know, and he goes, oh, so you have a sense of rhythm. You can, you know, probably read music. I said, yeah. He goes, all right, good. That's good. That's great. He goes, and you're doing theater right now? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, well, once you start making movies, they'll all hate you. So, uh, okay. Ready what, to start reading this? What were your other skills on your resume? Was there like juggling and uh, fencing? Yes. And that yes. Kind of stuff? yes. <laughs> Both of those. Yes. <laughs> trumpet. Trumpet. Juggling, fencing, trumpet. Nice. Nice. <laughs> So, so playing drums, I mean, that, that was like huge, huh? I mean, you had to learn how to play a completely new instrument and probably one of the hardest ones. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I was, a, I wanted to play the drums. I think my parents were probably grateful that I played the trumpet, even though that's loud as well, but you can stick like a mute in a trumpet, but the drums, I, I think I secretly wanted to always play them and, and the drummers were so precious about their drum kits. If you even looked at their drum kits, they'd be like, dude, get away, get away. And so I learned how to twirl the stick early on. Nice. You know, everybody like who's ever seen a music video wants to twirl a drumstick. <laughs> and, and so I could do that. And it, yeah, they, they, they got me this drum teacher in New York where I was living uh, in New York City. And his name's Billy Ward. And he's wonderful. Uh, I love Billy because we hit it off right away. And he said, I'm not going to teach you how to do paradiddles or, you know, dr- drumming one-on-one. We're going to, you're going to learn how to hold the sticks and look cool. And we're going to learn the songs in the movie. I was like, great. That sounds exactly like what I'm doing. We had two, I had one month with him and we literally, I said, are you cool with like getting together every single day? And goes, well, they're paying me. I said, all right, great. So seven days a week with him, four on my own and four with him. So I made it like an eight hour day and I just did it. I just did. I just crammed it. 
And then we got together in LA, the whole band practice for a month before we started shooting. And everyone was really good at what they were doing, but I could feel like, oh, wow, I'm actually maybe even a little ahead of everybody. And I could see that Tom was very happy that I could play every single song and hit every drum at the right time. I think he was just like, okay, yeah, like, great. And, and one of my great pleasures of that experience was learning that, being able to do my job and make it look good. And then at the end, it was one of my favorite things that ever happened in my life is that we watched uh, after filming one day, we went down and Tom said, come on guys, you know, we went down this little theater, they played back the dailies and it was all the stuff of me at the Hollywood showcase at the end of the movie. It's like all these dolly track shots of me and it, they were gorgeous shots of me and hitting, hitting the drums. And he was just like, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, thanks man. Thanks for making this movie look so legit. Wow. 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 I mean, you guys were like really a band. You know, um, yeah. I mean, you probably could have gone out and done like covers. No, no, no. <laughs> no? Is, I love that. That's the joy of it is that people say that and I want them to believe it. I don't want to ruin anything. It, it really looked like you could, you know, <laughs> which was the goal, which is the goal. Yeah. Steve Zahn and I, when we first met, we sat in a bar for, for we, he and I met in New York and our drum teacher and, and guitar teacher knew each other. So they like, got together. And then after that, he and I went to a bar and just started to get to become best friends. And, uh, and he, he said, this is it, man. We just can't look fake. Like we can't have kids like us looking at the movie screen going fake. And I was like, you're right. You're right. That's our job. And, and I'm glad, but if you listen to us, the four of us play, actually, <laughs> it would sound, you'd be like, it'd be like your kid playing. You'd be like, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> keep it up keep it up nice, yeah, nice job you're, you're it worked. Potential. Yeah. You're potential but real musicians recorded what you hear and it's great like if i play the drums it's it, it's not anywhere close to i mean they have feel they have touch they have <clears throat> they have god-given ability you know and i don't want to take that away from them i don't <laughs> you know what i mean i want to give them their their props do you do you still play uh yeah the drums are right here um they're in their cases um, this is my little, this is the studio off the back of our garage that we thankfully during the pandemic had because it was like a lifesaver. Like come in here and zoom and, and, but it's also where my kids like, there's a piano. Nice. And the drums were set up. Look, they even say on this label, I don't even know if it should, it says that thing you do productions and that was shipped to me on the Upper West Side of New York in the apartment my wife and I lived in. Um, and the FedEx guy or whoever it was that delivered them was like, are these drums? <laughs> <laughs> God, he was so pissed. And we no, were they're just they're giant hats. <laughs> boxes of hats, sombreros, fedoras. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because when I was a kid, um, I was a tomboy, and my yeah. parents bought me a set of drums. And every time I played, they yelled at me for making noise. And I said, "Do you not understand the concept of this instrument?" <laughs> exactly. So I never played. They're supposed to. Oh, that's mm. not right. That's, I know. Yeah. I mean, my parents had four kids and we were all in band. Like the, two flutes, one trumpet and one like clarinet French horn. I mean, there was a lot of noise. Dogs, cats. Yeah. Um, I don't think my dad could hear that well. So that, that might have been a good thing. May have been lucky. May have been lucky yeah. for him. So uh, you were on uh, a recurring role on Grace Under Fire. And Sue and I both have friends that were on that show and on that set. Who? Uh, Casey Sander. Yes. And Julie White. Oh, I did. Yes. Oh, the so best. The, the best. You guys know so, all the stories. So what was it like on that set? <laughs> we, we kind of know but we want to know i can illustrate it with one story so i got there so this was like one of the first things that i ever did and um and there were like a handful of guys reading for that role it was the role of the the child that grace's character that, that brett's character grace had given up when she was um 18 she had a baby and gave it up for adoption so i'm that baby and i go and i find her and that was the role so I'm there and I'm, I'm all my scenes are with uh, Brett Butler and, and they're fine. It's funny. It's a little, you know, but I didn't have any experience that I didn't know what anything really was like in, in that world. So I was just accepting of it. And then when we went to shoot uh, that week with the audience, um, 
I couldn't find the rest of the cast anywhere because I wanted to like hang out in the green room and hang out with everybody in between scenes and stuff like that. Because it was Dave Thomas and it was Casey and it was Julie. And there were all these lovely, wonderful, funny people who, especially Dave Thomas, who I was a huge fan of from the McKenzie Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Strange Brew and stuff. And I was like, where are they? And I found them. And they were hiding. They were hiding in a room. They were hiding in like a makeup and hair room that no one knew about with a TV screen. So they could just watch and wait for their cue and go. And I was like, <laughs> it was oh like toy God. story when all the toys are hiding from the mean kid from Sid. I was like, uh Oh, so, and then I was aware. And then it became all became aware. And then Julie white and I became really good friends. And we started like, um, golfing during our breaks, like going and like hitting golf balls in studio city and stuff. And then she and I wound up doing a play on Broadway together, which was really a wonderful experience. I love Julie white. Yeah. It's really weird when you're in an toxic environment like that. Um, I, I have a friend who, um, well, his name will remain nameless, the okay, person okay. It, it was, but they were telling me that, uh, there was actually a crying room. Um, at the show because he made people cry constantly wow. and they would just go into a room and they would cry and, you know, hit show, but just, uh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> it's so true. It's like I, when I go to do a project, I've done a lot of projects now, you know, like, I'm yeah. sure, like I've done a lot of stuff. And so that, and I've worked with a lot of different people and I have to say, I think I can handle it. I think I'm pretty good. You know, like I've, I've definitely hit the range, the spectrum of crazy and angry and, and, um, of people. And, and my managers or agents will say like, before a job, they'll be like, okay. And I'll be like, all right, what, like, what's the deal? <laughs> like, what's this, where are they on the scale? Um, Unfortunately, yeah, that is just kind of a byproduct of this business, I think. So you did uh, American Werewolf in Paris, which, you know, I remember when it came out, it was a gigantic hit. I mean, it was a really, really big deal when that movie came out. What do you remember about that sort of period of life? That was kind of your first taste of stardom, wasn't it? It was before because, interestingly enough, that I got cast in that while I was still shooting the thing you do um mm. it was like the very end of shooting because my wife and i were new yorkers we were living in new york city and that thing you do was shot in la so we were just kind of like wrapping up getting ready to finish that thing you do and move back to new york and i took a an audition for for american world in paris and then they were interested and booked i booked it and that thing you do hadn't come out so they, so it was cool it was cool to book another feature without you know having anything out there um, but then I went to Europe for the first time in my life. I'd never really traveled as a kid and, uh, it was incredible. We were there for a long time shooting that movie. I don't even know where to begin. There's like, it was, I was 25 years old and there were 15 different countries represented in this cast and crew. And we shot all over the place like Paris, Munich, Amsterdam. Uh, we were based in Luxembourg, which is kind of in the middle of all that. <clears throat> And, and it was just, a, you know, like there was, I was, there was some blurry moments. I mean, there's some wonderful moments. We shot all night. We had crazy stunts where they didn't seem quite like doing them, you know, to code or however you put that. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Well, there were like big stunts where like, they had a stunt double for me who, who crashed through a window and nothing but boxers. And it was because of this moment in the movie where that happens. And I was like, Ooh, that was impressive. Like, and that guy almost hurt himself. And, uh, and there was a, a one of those big blow up bags that he landed in and it was crazy. And then there were like almost equally as dangerous stunts. And there was no stunt guy to be seen. Mm. And I was like, who's doing the stunt? And they're like, Oh, we prefer it if you did it. You know, I'm like, what? Yeah, you're just going to run after this bus and you're going to jump on the back and you're going to climb up the ladder. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. <laughs> you do that? I'm like, well, I think I probably could. I don't know. Let's do it. So I did it. My wife was like, what are you doing? Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Uh, it was just like, there was a moment where I'm in a car and I'm escaping the werewolves, obviously. And like a car crashes into the side of the car and prevents me from getting out that way. So I have to claw, crawl out the passenger side and the camera's set up looking in the windshield at me and they're setting it up and the car that is actually going to hit my door and pin me in here. And I'm like, wow, we're really going to do this. And they're like, yes, actually it's really important. 
when you go to open the door, just get your fingers out of the way because he's going to slam it shut with the other car. Oh, God. <laughs> Are we going to practice this? Oh, we don't really have enough, you know, rehearsal cars, you know, like um, meaning we have zero rehearsal cars. We're just going to do this. Hope, hope it works. So while I was setting up the shot, I was just like frantically like practicing, like opening the door real quick and getting my fingers out of the way. And meanwhile, the other person driving the car is the production designer. It's not some stunt man. It's not some stunt driver. It's some guy who, you know, designed the sets. And he's backing the other car further and further away. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, he's getting a run up. How hard is he going to hit me? <laughs> so action. He starts coming at me. And I open the door. And he knocks me out of the shot. Like he knocks the whole car out of shot and like the camera had to like pan to find me, get out. And, and they were like, Oh, that was great. Uh, but we had to pan and we didn't want to cause he not, he hit you so hard and knocked you out of the shot. We're going to do that again. And I was like, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I'll just cash my chips in now, please leave the table a winner. I have all my fingers, <laughs> but so it was a were- fun movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. That's movie. a great movie. It's a great movie. It's still a fun movie. And so, like, you know, and I'm oh, sorry, sorry. Just a quick wrap okay. on on American World is that, uh, you know, I made wonderful friendships and and I learned a lot on that movie. To to be honest, because it was it was at a bizarre, thrilling experience with people from different countries, and we were doing like sci-fi and well, not sci-fi. We were doing, uh, excuse me, special effects makeup and stunts and things that I don't think had had been done yet. And if they had been done, they'd only been done in like Jurassic Park. So it was like kind of like the beginning of that kind of technology. That was fun. So you were in a, a, a very controversial TV series for years, uh, 13 Reasons Why. Mm. Um, what was what did you think when you first uh, read the script and, and knew what the subject matter was? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was like a very it was a very strange thing for me because I didn't really have access to all the material. And I was reading for one part in the beginning that Josh Hamilton played and I didn't get it. And my friend was casting it and she said, well, I just want to bring you back for something. I was like, great. So it was interesting because I didn't really know what it was going to be entirely. I had an idea and uh, Brian Yorkie who wrote it and wrote, you know, he's a, fantastic writer playwright and stuff and he was like yeah it's it's yeah it's it's a you know the tone is it's high school but it's also pretty you know edgy stuff pretty serious intense stuff i was like all right um i just played one of the kids dads and i would just kind of bop in and bop out and i'm really not and then when the show came out and all that controversy i was on my way to a netflix like uh for your consideration kind of party thing to walk the red carpet and I got out of the car and somebody from Netflix came over and grabbed me and was like, okay, we have like talking points because it is literally just like all the controversy hit mm-hmm. like where school, like people were flipping out that there was glorifying suicide and uh, you know, which wasn't the point of the show to glorify suicide. I mean, that's insane. Um, but it, you know, it was supposed to be a cautionary tale. Yeah. Right, 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 and, right. And but people were flipping out, so I just remember, like, in that moment, being like, "Oh my god!" Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a been a part of something that all of a sudden I had to worry about what I said about the picture, you know, about the project. So that was scary. Yeah, then you know, it was interesting too because you know they have the disclaimer from the actors at the start of the series mm-hmm. saying that you know we're we're actors, this isn't real, this is mm-hmm. a story, and I'm wondering, I, I I would love to have been a fly. Uh, on the wall in a Netflix office to hear their, you know, when they came up with, we have to do this, you know, cause I'd never seen anything like that before. It was pretty intense. They've since edited it. I think it's, oh, the, the they original have. version is not available anymore. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, cause I just, I kind of came late to the party watching it. So, uh, um, you know, there was, there was a movie, um, many, many years ago, you know, it was an old movie called the bad seed. Have you ever seen that movie? I know it. Yeah. Bad seed. Is that that's with that? Pat, Pat, Patsy McCormick. She plays this really like, um, really terrible young girl who, uh, mm-hmm. who murders people basically. Okay. And everybody's afraid of her. Her mother's afraid of her kids and the people in the town are. And at the end of the film, and this was probably, this may have been like late 50s, early 60s. At the end of the film, some of the characters come out to just show the audience that it's just a film. 
everybody's okay. Oh. Nothing happened to anybody. Mm. She actually is a very, very sweet little girl. She's an actress. <laughs> and that was really bizarre for that time. That is bizarre. Yeah, it was like somewhat soothing after like a really intense experience for the audience. Okay, mm-hmm. now we're going to watch them some bloopers. You know? <laughs> Crazy we're going to play with silly string. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I'm a, I'm a cry. I like to cry when I go to the movies. I like a good cry as much as the next guy. Good. Um, and one of your movies made me cry, uh, which was one true thing. Uh, which you did with uh, Meryl Streep. You played scenes opposite the greatest living actor there is. What What's it like playing scenes opposite Meryl mm-hmm. Streep? It's incredible. Uh, it's like nothing. Uh, I mean, I've gotten a chance to work with uh, quite a few greats, and I'm really super fortunate. And she's right there at the top. I think the coolest thing about working with Meryl Streep is that I never felt like I was acting. And I think that was all her um, because of her. So she played my mom and I played her son and uh, Renee Zellweger is the main character. She's the daughter. So, so Meryl's character is dying of cancer and the Renee's character is that, uh, you know, got this kind of like interesting relationship with her mom and the son, my character has like just, pure joy relationship with the mom. I'm coming home from college. I'm coming home on the holidays. And we're just like, in all our scenes, we're just laughing and loving each other while Renee's character is kind of going through more of a, like, you know, she's kind of struggling more. So all I had to do with Meryl Streep was laugh. So all we did in between takes was laugh like legit. And I think it's because she was like just in character and she gives you what you need and she gets what she needs and she's, and when they, you don't even realize, and I'm not even kidding. Like you don't even realize when they said rolling because we're just laughing. And then all of a sudden she'll say the line. I'll be like, Oh my God, we're doing it. And we're in the scene. And I, I didn't feel like anybody said action. And, and I think that was just the joy of it. And then so she's not, she doesn't like stay in character. She's, it's not that kind of vibe at all. Well, she playing a loving mom. And so then she was just a lovely person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like, you know, like you go and do a movie with her where she's the bad guy and you're like, you know, scared to death for, her. I don't know, maybe like devil's wear Prada. You didn't want to be near her. Yeah. I can't imagine that's how she was. I mean, she was, she is actually a lovely person. I mean, uh, my wife and I got married during the course of shooting that movie and, you know, Meryl Streep sent us this gorgeous, it's in here somewhere, some gorgeous vintage uh, quilt or something, you know, it was like just beautifully heartwarming, generous person. Um, and, and, uh, she's just, yeah, I, that, that movie was so powerful. It was shot in sequence. Meryl said, we, you know, most films are shot out of sequence of the script because you don't have control over locations and actors schedules and stuff like that. So you kind of shoot everything out of order because Meryl's, you know, progressively gets worse throughout the movie. And I don't want to spoil this for anybody, but I'm going to, uh, <laughs> you want to think sh- there's like a 25 year rule. Okay, good. Okay. We're, out, we're out of that. Yeah, yeah. We're out of that. So if you missed your chance to watch One True Thing, sorry. Um, she wanted to shoot in sequence so that she could progressively get worse. So when we got to the point where she was really bad and she had like, the, you know, the bald from chemo and, and the make, her makeup artist is incredible. And when she came out, she didn't want me to see her until we shot that scene. Hmm. That was like, you know, fell in love with this woman, vibrant woman. And then she comes out and she just looks like sick and dying. I was yeah. like, wow, that was, you know, very powerful. Hmm. Yeah, I cried well, a lot at the end. Well, yeah, yeah what, what's the percentage of actors that you've worked with that you've remained friends with? That's interesting, you know, because like on the first movie, on that thing you do with Steve, like he, and Ethan and John, we're all friends. We all talk often but but steve and i became best friends we were the only new york transplants and so we were staying at the same uh oakwood um apartments in 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 the marina (laughs) know it well (laughs) (laughs) and so we just became best friends and he was best man at my wedding and we still i mean our wives are best friends and our kids are about the same age and all friends and stuff so that all worked out at the time i thought i was just gonna make a best friend on every movie (laughs) <laughs> you know, like my hit rate was like a thousand percent, but, uh, it's not so, but I still love seeing those people. And there are, you do pick up friendships along the way. Um, and the, and the, that thing you do family is very real. Like, like they have a, you know, we see them 
like we'll go to a baseball game. Like they, it's, it is a lovely, lovely sense of family from the Playtone, that thing you do group, which is very fortunate, but other projects. Yeah. I mean, I've stayed in touch with um, multiple people. It's nice. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Cause you just, this compressed, you have this compressed experience on a film. We become yeah. friends real fast. Yeah, because I, you know, I write and produce TV. So, you know, I'll, you know, if, I, if a show runs, you know, for a certain amount of seasons, you know, you're, you know, your family. I mean, that's really you know. what it's, what it's all about, you know, and I, you know, I worked on the Osbournes, you know, and that was over 20 years ago. And some of my closest friends are, are from that show. Yeah. So, yeah. Because you go cool. through some stuff doing a show. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so I remember like certain like world events that happened while I was in a makeup and hair trailer. And so I always think of those people. Um, yeah. yeah. I remember almost dying in a, in a tornado in um, Louisiana and it was the makeup and hair trailer. And they were, they came some drenched PA came in, was like, we have a van waiting outside a tornado just touched down a mile from here. Like, like I just went beelined into the van sitting <laughs> in front. Like, where, where are we going? Where are you guys going to take us? And then, and then the makeup and hair ladies got into the back of the van with their stuff. And I was like, Oh, Hey, do you guys need a hand? Like, I didn't really like think that I should be gentlemanly and help them escape as well. I just, right well, were you like Billy Zane on Titanic sneaking <laughs> under the lifeboat? It sounds yeah. like, <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> and then the, we all got taken to some high school and and I'm, it was so much fun. We like hung out and made coffee in the teacher's break room and sat in the hallway. And then, you know, that was an experience. And I worked with them a couple years later and we just, we always talked about our tornado coffees that we had. Uh, let's talk about Finding You, which we both got a chance to watch, which is a really, as I said at the top, really sweet movie, heartfelt movie. You actually have kind of a, an interesting uh, character. You're, you're kind of like a, a dadager. Uh, you're, like the, you're like the dad, the agent, the manager. You're like the, the whole thing, which can be a, a little bit, uh, I guess, you know, you're not Kris Jenner, but you're sort of in that sort of the vein, right? Yeah. Uh, there are, yeah. I've seen these types of people on set. These people exist. Um, yeah. My character Montgomery is very um, controlling of his son's life. His son is this huge star and he just doesn't want his son to mess things up. So he's just going to control it, make sure that it's all perfect, right. which is insane. <laughs> Right. It yeah. sounds like he, he, you don't want him to mess it up for for you too. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. It's it's my chance. It's my shot. Second chance. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I met with Brian, the director, writer director, you know, we talked about this stuff, and I hadn't played roles like this much, and that, and but I was super excited to do it because they're the fun roles. Because you can play, you know, and when you're the bad guy, you can just do so much more that's fun. Um, I think it's a sweet movie. It's beautifully shot. Ireland yeah. was a wonderful place to shoot. Um, they, yeah, there's a really sweet romance here. Yeah, I think people should go check it out. I love that it's going to be in theaters. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. It's going to be in mm-hmm. uh, movie theaters, which we haven't had that experience in a long time. You know, I before the pandemic and for the most of my life, I go to like three movies a weekend. I'll see a double feature on a Saturday and grab another one on a Sunday at the, at the little art house up the street. And, you know, that's sort of my scene. It's one of the things I've missed most through this pandemic is the ability to go and see those big stories and be enveloped in those big stories. To me, that's what movies are all about, that communal experience. So yeah, it's exciting in theaters, which is cool. Yeah. And uh, you know, we are all missing it. We're all missing that. What, you know, we lost in the last year and all the things that we lost, but, but movies I'm going to go see, uh, this one in particular, I'm going to go see in the theaters and, um, and live music. I can't wait to check that. Out. Yeah. Live, I actually went to a concert the other night, um, at SoFi stadium. They had this, I think it's going to be airing. They had this, uh, gigantic Vax live concert. Uh, they called it reunion or, the uh, concert to to reunite the world, and there was Foo Fighters and J Lo, and like, it was a really great her, like wow. a really good Prince Harry was like the uh, the host of it. But <laughs> everybody in this thing had to show proof of vaccination in order to be able to get in there. So we were once we were in there, it's like twenty thousand people in mass, but shoulder to shoulder, 
which was a strange feeling, but really, really cool. Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters was so digging it. He's like, look, we came here for this event, but we're going to put on a rock concert. And he really did. It was cool. But I miss live music. I miss live sporting events. You know, I go to a lot of ball games uh, because I work at ESPN. So I see a lot of games and theater. I, you know, I try to go to a bunch of theater and theater is another uh, area. Now, I guess they made an announcement in New York that Broadway can reopen in mid-September, I think I read. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously we know that lots of people, you know, aren't working because of this. And so could get that going again. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing you learned about yourself during the uh, pandemic that surprises you? Uh, Let's see. Um, <clears throat> I'm extremely allergic to the dogs that I own. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. So as a kid, I started developing like, you know, really heavy symptoms from allergies, uh, like asthma. Like if, if the grass was cut fresh before soccer practice, and then I started wheezing, you know, that was because I had asthma, like from allergies from grass. But then I was also, so they did that test where they test you for what you're allergic the to. The little scratch the test. scratch thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's super annoying, that test. So I was allergic to cats, dogs, dust, grass, um, all the, you know, things. It's probably like five or six main things. And then a bunch of other little things bother me a little bit. So we had a cat. We had a dog. We obviously had grass. Like we had all these things as a kid. And my parents didn't get rid of the dog or the cat or anything like that. That would have been horrible. We loved our pets. So I just kind of like had an inhaler that I carried around, took some allergy medication and that was it. And then I supposedly grew out of it as I went to college and then moved on. I just didn't live with any more cats and dogs and stuff like that until I met my wife. And then we started having dogs, but I was also like working all the time. I spent like a lot of time on the road for my job. So the pandemic was this, (laughs) moment where i was not anywhere but in the room with these two we have two giant dogs what, what do kind have? of dogs they're rescues it's a bowie is a bulldog lab mix <laughs> and arrow bow and arrow uh <laughs> arrow is a, is a hound dog boxer mix and they're adorable and i love them but they make me have asthma and so i was coming out every morning sneezing itchy eyes wheezing, going to my, call my doctor. He was putting me on the stuff. And then he was like, you gotta see an allergist. Had to retake that darn prick test and re- and then just have them tell me exactly what I already knew. But the allergist was like, yeah, but now you're just fully exposed every single day. Hmm. Wow. So what that's a, one thing I learned. What a, what a testament to how much we love our dogs. Because <laughs> if someone lived in my house and caused me to be, you know, to sneeze and cough, <laughs> out. Right. Out in a minute. (laughs) Boyfriend, husband, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We'll find you a nice place. Maybe we'll visit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's one thing I learned. But also, like, I also learned that I don't really, I'm not motivated to work out unless I'm like leaving the house and going to a gym. Like, I tried building a home gym, like, in my garage. And I'm just not motivated. Didn't go well. How far did you get? (laughs) We hung, we have a Peloton. So I ride that every once in a while. Good weights like some of those adjustable like weights where you can like dial do you see you ever seen those oh yeah yeah, yeah you yeah, dial yeah. the weight sure yeah and they like can be heavy or light i don't use those I don't <laughs> bend, bend. Got, a, got a heavy bag my son takes boxing and does it like he's been boxing so that is fun. i took boxing lessons for a long time the good speed workout bag, the speed bag is great oh oh that's the this one yeah 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 oh i should get one of those that i want it's great You'll, my you'll, brother, you'll, you'll be addicted to it. My oh, really? brother got the uh, Peloton and I swear to God, it is, and it's an expensive thing. I mean, a Peloton is expensive. It's really just where he hangs his clothes. <laughs> very expensive. Uh, very expensive way to hang your clothes up, but uh, that's essentially what he's done. Yeah. Well, we're in the like nascent stage of that. We, we all have an account. We all get on and like, you know, do our rides, but, uh, I can't get past like a 20 minute beginner ride. My wife is like, you got to do like harder than that. I'm like, do I? <laughs> they're like, why? Because you're telling me? <laughs> do I? Is this a pissing, is this a pissing contest? Now? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> but actually she's starting to win it because she's going much more. And it shows you how often you've been on the bike. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. 
So the longer you're away, the less you you want to go back. You can't cheat. No, you get emails that say like, you've only ridden three times this month. Oh my God. (laughs) Guilt trip. (laughs) What are you, my mother? Oh man. (laughs) Um, Well, listen, uh, this has been fun. We really appreciate uh, you taking some time for us. The movie is Finding You. It comes out on Friday, May the 14th. Excited for that to go to see it in a movie theater. Hey, uh, Tom, thanks. This has been great, man. Likewise. I've really enjoyed this. Good to see you guys. Hopefully we'll all see each other at a concert soon. Let's do it. Let's do it. Sounds good. All right. And there you have it. That is Tom Everett Scott, a charming guy, isn't he? Oh, God. He was so much fun. And your type, apparently. He's totally my type. Yeah. Well, he's kind of like a my Tom type. Yeah, he is. He's in that category. Sure. Sure. Um, and the movie's nice. Uh, you should definitely go see it. It's called Finding You. It's in theaters, which is exciting. It, there's a big debate here about how long I have to wait until I go into a movie theater. So I'm ready to go. I'm like ready to go to the movie theaters. And I want to go back to my normal schedule of things. Juan um, is uh, much more hesitant, says I have to wait until the 4th of July or something like that. I'm like, I've got my two vaccines. What am I waiting for? I'm fine. I'm protected. Because, you know, Juan's uh, mom and stepdad are scientists and they've mm-hmm. worked in virology. And they say that uh, it's like 0.00001% that you can get COVID after you have the vaccine. And even if you get it, it will be a mild case of it. So right. I'm like, roll the dice. I want to go to the movies. So why is he, um, I mean, I mean, he's getting this from his parents. Does he just not trust his parents? He's just been, he's nervous about this. He's, I mean, we were both like really rock solid on the rules there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we got our shots, I'm like, I'm going to go live my best life. I mean, this past weekend, went to a baby shower, went to a birthday party, went to a, I mean, we, we're like out there uh, living, but he's still hesitant about it. Yeah, that's too bad. Like I went golfing the other day, <clears throat> excuse me, and my um, the guys that I golf with, um, one of the guys we hooked up with another couple that we didn't know, and uh, they both had their masks on. Yeah, and I, we were standing on the first tee, and I I looked at both of them and I said, um, my friend and I are both vaccinated. Just want to let you know. Right. So are we. And then she took her mask off. And she nice. Said, nice. And she said, you know, I know, you know, everybody gets nervous. I said, I just wanted to let you know that I wasn't being careless not having my mask. Sure, on sure. You know, yeah, so. the mask etiquette is very tricky. Like we went to dinner this week for my brother's birthday. He turned 50. <sighs> my brother, the big five zero. Mm-hmm. We go to dinner uh, out in Santa Monica and it's such a charade now. So, <laughs> so <laughs> like in order to go past the host, or the hostess station, you have to wear a mask. But the right. moment you sit down at the table, you just take the mask off. So it's right. like, I can't imagine that wearing that mask through the hostess station is going to necessarily protect anybody, given the fact that I'm taking my mask off the moment I sit down indoors for dinner. Sitting indoors for dinner is actually kind of nice now. I haven't done it yet. Oh, it's great. It's great. I've done it a couple of times. I'm like, I'm not going to be afraid anymore now that I got the shots. Um, and that concert, by the way, that was the big push was, you know, get, get your shots and, um, and also let's get some vaccine to India and like only 1% of the African continent has been vaccinated at this point. It's like, right. you gotta start thinking about the rest of the world. Um, and, uh, cause we're doing pretty well. I saw it yesterday, 53% of Californians have been vaccinated. Mm. So, it's, so it's going fast. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so I wanted to throw this at you. An investigator for the Pentagon, a guy named Lou Elizondo, is the former head of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, otherwise known as the AATIP. Did you get that? The AATIP? Uh Uh-huh. So uh, he uh, is now expressing concern over the lack of transparency by the U.S. government Uh, When it comes to unidentified aerial phenomenon, he says, quote, I've been privy to witness too many extraordinary things. Unfortunately, 
ones that are classified, I'm not going to elaborate or share, but I've said for a long time, we've had video, you know, some of these videos are 20, 25 minutes long. In other cases, these things are 50 feet away from the cockpit, very compelling. But with what I said, I'm not at liberty to go into details. He thinks that it's sort of a national security issue that we don't know what's going on out there. Now, there has been a a rapid increase, a serious increase in the number of UFO sightings or unidentified aerial phenomenon uh, that, that have been going on. Um, I think, do you think they're more common or do you think people are just sitting around looking at the sky more? Wow. <clears throat> do you believe, first of all, do you believe in them? I don't know. I mean, I'm so on the fence with it because I, I mean, I just like, what is it? Like, what are UFOs? Like, who is in these spaceships? Well, by nature, I I don't know if you caught this, the very first uh, letter in UFO stands for unidentified. No, no, I I understand that. (laughs) I understand that. So when you say unidentified, is it, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, is it a Martian? I mean, is it some weird entity that is not human? Well, we can't explain it. We well, can't explain it. And by the way, apparently the government is sitting on all kinds of footage that we haven't seen before uh, that that I think the American people have a right to know exactly what's going on, don't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, if there's something, you know, crazy going on out there, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I'd want to know. But at what point do they um, – do, do they – Show, like this guy said that he has proof of it. Yes. Right? And mm-hmm. he said that it's a national security, but it's like – you could say a lot of things, but I, I just need like concrete proof. Right, right. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. Because it's hard for me to believe stuff without seeing it, you know? Okay, people, here's say lot, the, people, people say a lot of crazy things, yeah. so I, I don't know. Okay, here's a hypothetical. So aliens land on the White House lawn. Mm-hmm. Now, in my head, first of all, I think, oh, you know what? This is going to bring the world together. But in the end, I think it would divide us even further. I think half of the world would like say, okay, we're going to work with these guys. And the other half would say, these are our enemies and we're going to fight these guys. It would cause just as much division as we've got with everything else. What do you think? You know, you know what I was thinking the other day? And this is crazy. And I know we don't talk politics on the show, but just hear me out. Okay. Okay. So we have four or five people in the Republican Party who we have on tape saying the polar opposite of what they're saying now. Right. You know, we have Lindsey Graham talking about, I'm out, I'm out. You well, know, I thought you now, were just going to generally touch and, and on just, politics. So, so I have to give you an example, okay? Okay, so got it. He, he's saying he's out after the resurrection. He's like, I'm out, I'm out. And the, then the other uh, day, insurrection, yeah. Um, the insurrection, I'm sorry. And then, and then just recently he said, we can't win, you know, uh, the Republican Party can't basically exist without Donald Trump. Okay, right. great. So, so we have like four or five people that are do, saying the polar opposite. And it made me think of that soap opera um, when I was a kid, um, Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows, Dark which Shadows was like the had vampire that alternate, one, right? They had that alternate universe where it was the same people, but they were different. Right, right. So they right. looked the same, but their, their whole philosophy and, and like, so they were, there was a good one and then there was an evil one. Right. And it makes me think are these guys like an alternate version of 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 themselves from like a couple of years ago it's just insanity so when you talk about someone being an alien i mean what's an alien i mean do they have to have like bug eyes and and like you know no they don't they could look just like us look just like us so i think you're suggesting they're already here i think they're already and apparently lindsey graham is one He's one of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I tell yes. you, I think that's a theory you want to float with uh, Van Jones over at uh, CNN. I think he's going to buy into that. <laughs> the the Lindsey Graham is an alien theory. Well, he and, and Kevin McCarthy and Cruz, they're all yeah. aliens. So I was going to say, uh, anybody that's listening now knows your politics, right? I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being very transparent. You are being very transparent. Um, and Facebook, you get into like those uh, little uh, squabbles on Facebook over politics. You know what? I, I used to. I haven't done that in a long time. No, that's good. 
because it's a waste of time. Your well, mind's made up, their mind's made up. Yeah, it's like you're preaching to the choir. It's like, you know, people people who watch Fox don't watch MSNBC, but I actually do watch Fox every now and then. Um, just because I want to, uh, yeah, yeah, I want to know what they're saying. But I, watched, I don't think, but I don't think the reverse is true. I don't think people who are are uh, Fox uh, watchers watch MSNBC at all. Well, that's because it's the lamestream media. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever I watch MSNBC, it's like, well, you know, you're not you're not grabbing anybody else. Yeah, you're right, right. The choir, exactly. You know? Yeah, we we all have. I our watch corners. Fox, and I just shake my head. So whatever. yeah. All right, so that concludes politics talk. Okay. You know, I don't like politics on the show. No, I, I, I don't either. But it, it, this, this conversation, I thought, um, had merit. You went from aliens of, to Lindsey Because Grant. of the alien um, analogy. Yeah, yeah exactly. All <laughs> right. Uh, hey, you know who makes this show possible? Jacob. Jacob. If you or a loved one is injured in any kind of accident, My friend Jacob wants me to explain to you why you should see a doctor right away. Jacob knows you're busy, but if you're injured in a car or work-related accident, it's not like having a cold, calling the doctor a week later. How quickly you call the doctor after an accident is vital to your case. First of all, for your own health, it's important to see a doctor to get treatment and document your injury. But if you try to set up a doctor's visit through your own health insurance, it could take a week or two. That's why you need to call an attorney like Jacob. He can set you up with a doctor's appointment, uh, a specialist, usually within 24 hours to make sure you are on the path to recovery and you properly document and bolster your case against the insurance company. So if you or somebody you know has been injured in any kind of accident, 24 hours a day, call 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB, 844-24-JACOB. Or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Call Jacob. Jacob. All right, I'll take it. Well, you got to take it. I have no choice. You're going to do it again? No, I'm not doing it again. Okay. That's it. That's it. But thank you to Jacob from Ron. Hey, thanks a lot for listening to the show. We really appreciate you guys. Fun guest today. Uh, you can uh, hit the subscribe button either on uh, iTunes or Spotify. We appreciate that. You can uh, rate us and review us. Uh, also really good for us. Uh, Sue, thank you very much. We will talk to you soon. And we'll see everybody on the next Culture Pop Podcast.